1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And right now I just want to read that one verse. 1 John 2, 18. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now we talked last week about another Jesus. Remember, just to get you, uh, your minds refreshed. And this is like a, sort of a continuation off of that sermon last week. Not exactly the same, but very similar. And uh, Paul said he was concerned for his, the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians. That he says, if somebody came to you and preached another gospel, which you have not received, or you receive another spirit, which you have not received, or they bring to you another Jesus, which you haven't received and you don't know and we didn't bring to you. He goes, I'm concerned that you might well bear with them. And and we talked about it last week. It's not the point. Are there false teachers and false prophets and false doctrines coming? Yes, there are. If we just have to pick, pick up our Bible and read it and understand that. We're not to live in fear of that. But the, the point that concerned Paul and that the Lord gave us that passage of Scripture was that are you going to bear with them? Yes, they're going to be false teachers. Many shall come in my name, Jesus said, saying, I am Christ. I mean, can you believe that? Many are going to come and say, I am Christ and shall deceive many. He says, if somebody, therefore, if somebody says unto you, he's in a desert place, go find Christ out there in that desert place or he's in some inner chamber, go find him there. He says, don't listen to that. We have the Word of God. Amen? We have the truth. And I don't live in fear that I'm going to be deceived, but I am wise. And the Bible says that we are to understand the times in which we live. And we are to walk in accordance to the wisdom of God and the safety of the Scriptures and the safety of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that's in our hearts. So we're not living in fear. huddled up in a corner somewhere saying, I'm going to be deceived. I'm going to be deceived. I don't want to leave the house. You know what I mean? We're not to live that way. But we are to understand this is the era. This is the time in which we live. And Jesus said, this is how it would be. And, and once again, little children, it is the last time. Remember, the last days, the last time, the end times, the end days, all of that is a, is a dispensation, dispensation of time from the resurrection of Jesus until, well, we're living in it now, okay? And, and end times would be these last days before the rapture, when they quickly, on the heels of that, you know, the, the tribulation period and, the, and, the, uh, and all that goes with that, and then the, the return of Christ, the second coming, you to read about in Revelation chapter 19 on a white horse, then the millennium, and then so forth, the eternity of eternities. But the last days are the times we're living in now. It's since the resurrection of Christ, well, we're closer to all the end times events than they were, right? That's obvious. And, and John says, Antichrist shall come, but even now there are many Antichrists. Even now there are many Antichrists, he says in verse 18. That's how we know it's the last time. So when we see these things taking place, uh, false doctrines, false prophets, lo, here is Christ, lo, there is Christ, uh, another, other Jesuses, so forth, it's just more confirmation that the Bible is true. That's exactly what the Lord said. He said that in the last day scoffers will come saying, where's the promise of His coming? 
Well, the scoffers come today. The scoffers say the Lord's not coming back. You Christians are a bunch of idiots, you know, to believe that. Uh, he's not coming back. Evolution's true. All this stuff that you believe is crazy. And, and it, you know what? They're, they are a confirmation of the Bible. Because the Bible says there's going to be scoffers like that, even more so in the end times. Remember last week, just to refresh your memory before we move on, we talked about there are other Jesuses specifically. There's one, the one true way, the truth, and the life, the unique Son of God that the Bible speaks of. But there are other Jesuses that are portrayed or proclaimed as being Jesus. That's the point. And there's another, the Jesus of Islam is not the same Jesus of Christianity or the Bible. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness is not the same Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Mormonism is not the same Jesus of true Christianity. You understand that? They'll, they'll put Jesus in their religion some way and hold him up in some shape, shape or form, but it's not, he's not the unique Son of God, God in the flesh, who died and rose again, who alone can save, who is the eternal Son of God. He's different. You know, it doesn't take uh, very deep digging into other religions to find out what they believe about Jesus. And you can almost always pin down a cult, and I would say even a, quote, Christian cult. You know what I mean by that? By saying, tell me about Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Because the Jesus of the Bible is very unique. And there's much spoken about it, right? And He alone can save. There's not, besides me, there is no Savior, the Bible says. And so, one of these other Jesuses that's most popular in our day is not just the Jesus of Islam or Mormonism. They have their followings. But the Jesus that's another Jesus that we talked about last week is the Jesus that is proclaimed in evangelical churches by many and promoted by many that leaves you in your sin and He's just okay with you staying in your sin. That's another Jesus too. Because the Jesus of the Scriptures is not okay with that. He saved me from my sin, but He doesn't leave me in my sin. He brings me out of it. I'm not perfected that day. I've sinned plenty of times since I've been saved. But I know good and well he's, His whole working in me is to not only forgive me and justify me, but He's also working in me to make me more like Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. And so that this other Jesus that's promoted today is a Jesus that will, you can quote, accept, that will take you to heaven, but you're perfectly fine, unchanged, in your sin. That's another Jesus as well, right? And to me, that's a more deceptive Jesus than the Jesus of Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or something like that, or certainly of Islam, something like that. The, I want to talk about this just a little bit. Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist, if you look up the definition in the Bible concordance, I always use a strong concordance, but you look it up in Greek, this in context with this passage we read in 1 John. The word Antichrist means an opponent of Messiah. Well, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the, the Messiah. God anointed, I'm just speaking, this is what Peter spoke in Cornelius' house. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with them. Jesus Christ alone is the anointed one. He fits the bill. Okay? For Christ, for the Messiah, for the Savior of the world. And besides Him, 
you try to prop up others and make a measure up to him or surpass him, they all fall short because this Bible describes him and lays him out and the Holy Spirit exalts him. And the Spirit of truth takes Christ and magnifies him. And the Word of God speaks of him and the prophets and the prophecies foretold of his coming. And, and then the Holy Ghost says, yep, that's him. This is the one. And it bears witness with our heart. That, but the word Antichrist means an opponent of the Messiah. So think about this. This is what we're going to talk about today. I want to get right to the heart of it. Anti has two, um, two main meanings. Both apply to the Antichrist, by the way. But we're going to talk about one specifically. Anti, the word, the prefix, means opposed to. Obviously, Antichrist is opposed to Almighty God, to the people of God, to the Word of God. To Israel, uh, Antichrist is opposed to everything that's of God. Alright? So when that's a no-brainer. But also there's another definition, and again it applies to Antichrist, that anti means in place of or a substitute. Now let that one just sink in for a second, because this is what we're going to talk about today. In place of or a substitute. Almost like some horror movie or something where... You know, when you're not looking, somebody steps in and takes the place of this. You turn around and, and you've been tricked. You think this is still the person I knew, but it's not the person I knew, okay? Uh, or it, it, there's a substitute that has slipped in there. Now, that can't happen without us knowing the people of God walking in the ways of God. We're not going to be deceived by that, but the world is going to be deceived by that. Because the Bible tells us very clearly that during the tribulation period, that Antichrist is going to set himself up in the temple, declaring himself to be God. And guess what? The world is going to follow after him. He's going to have a false Holy Ghost called the false prophet, who's going to do miracles and signs and wonders in the presence of the beast or the Antichrist. And he, the false prophet is going to glorify this false Messiah and say, who is like unto the beast? And people are going to be deceived by that. Now, I don't want you all to think we have some visitors here that this is the only topic I ever preach on. Okay, it's not. You just happen to hit this. Um, but I want you to turn and look at this with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's the Antichrist. And there is the spirit of Antichrist as well. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man, there's a specific man of sin, be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes, all right, remember Antichrist is in opposition to, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So there is going to be this the Antichrist, this son of perdition, that man of sin. He's got many different names to him. In the, in the book of Revelation, he's revealed, so to speak. And uh, he is the beast, he's called. And he is actually going to, I thought this was interesting, but it says that he, he sits in the temple of God in verse 4. Showing himself that he is God. So that's not just in opposition to God. That's in place of God. And Antichrist is fitting that bill. In both, on both counts. 
But when I was studying that word temple, it says he sets himself in the temple. There will be, I don't know all the ins and outs, but obviously there will be a temple rebuilt that will be on the earth in Jerusalem during the tribulation period. Okay? There's going to be a temple rebuilt for that period of time in the, in the tribulation period. And the Antichrist will go in there. And, and the word temple could mean temple, just like we think of it. It also could mean, sometimes the word is used as the innermost part of the temple or the Holy of Holies. And Bible scholars believe he's going to set himself up in the Holy of Holies. That was the meeting place of God and man. That was where the Ark of the Covenant was in the mercy seat. And the Lord said, I'll meet with you above that place in the tabernacle, in the temple. In the temple. And, and this is where Antichrist is going to go. And he's going to set himself up there, declaring himself to be God. Now, I know it's all... If, in the history of the world, that's going to be a brief period of time, you know, in comparison to eternity. But for that time, men are going to believe that because there will be a spirit of delusion and deception where people that did not give their lives to Christ are going to believe in that. There will be people being saved during that period of time and they'll, they'll be martyrs and they'll die for the Lord. But my point is, it says he opposes and exalts himself above God or all that's even called God. And that is what Satan is really after. Yes, he's in opposition. You know, two teams on a battlefield or two generals or commanders or two forms of government, you know, democracy against uh, socialism or something. They're in opposition to each other. But, but Satan is definitely that. And the Antichrist is definitely that against God. But in place of, that's really what he desires. Just for time's sake, I'm going to read this. But listen, it's this is spoken of Satan in, in Isaiah 14. You know, he's this beautiful angel, Lucifer, in the presence of God. And it says, the, the Lord says, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This is what Satan said. And the Lord cast him out. Okay? And so, but it's still in his heart and in his mind to be worshipped. Not only to oppose God, but to be worshipped as God. And so, I want to look, how does, how does he do this? What... What are his methods? And Paul says we're not to be ignorant of his devices, right? Does the Bible tell us that? We're not ignorant of his devices, his schemes, his tactics, his strategies. We're not afraid of him, but we're, not also, we're also not to be ignorant. I don't spend my time studying up on the devil all day. I study the Word of God. I, study, I pray to Jesus. I spend my time with the Lord. I grow close to the Lord. I say, Lord, fill me with the fresh new feeling of your spirit. I keep my eyes on the author and finisher of my faith. But in the word of God, he lays out. There's this false. There's this opponent. There's this anti in place of. And his spirit will be hard at work in our day. Leading up to the day where the, the man of sin is revealed. Okay, guess what? Then the Lord's going to come back short time after that on a white horse. And, and set up his kingdom and Satan will be put down and the beast and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. But he's, that spirit is hard at work and how does he work? Let's look. Uh, we're going to turn to several scriptures today. 2 Second, Second Corinthians chapter 11. Now that's where we started last week when we talked about another Jesus, another gospel, another spirit. 
But later in that same chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, read with me in verses 13 through 15. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. You see here, when we're starting to see a little bit, how does Satan work? They're false prophets, okay, false apostles, deceitful workers. So, but they're transforming themselves into the apostles of who? Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. They're not righteous, they're not of Christ, but they put on the persona, the whatever it takes to deceive men into thinking that they are right and of Christ, of the of Christ, this Christ, but they're not of this Christ. And we can clearly know it. I'm going to say it over and over. We don't live in fear of that. Stay in the word of God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't live in fear and wake up scared of your own shadow uh, that, you're, that everything's going to deceive you. We would be deceived if we didn't stay in what God has given us to not be deceived. But He's given us more than enough. And greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. But one of His main devices, y'all, is to slip in undercover. Okay? Uh, Jews said that there are men that have crept in unaware. Well, what did they creep into? They didn't creep into the mosque. They crept into Christian churches. But if all of y'all, you know, there's a priesthood of the believers. It's not just up to the pastor. If everyone in here would say, hey, welcome to our church. We shake their hands. We get to know them. We get to know this person a little bit. And they start to share something that's not of God. You know, there's other ways to heaven just besides Jesus. Things like that. And we know that's not. Don't sick the pastor on them. You know what I mean? We can put an end to that. We can squash it. And either they're going to stay and get saved or they're going to go. But you understand the point of that is that we, uh, they creep in unaware and they take on, uh, they try to gain your trust. It could be a little gray-haired old lady that looks like they couldn't harm a, harm a fly and they're, yet they're speaking a false doctrine. We have to wise up. We have to be spiritually wise, okay? Have a coat and towel and look nice and the hair combed and shaved and speak something that's not true. They can make you cry. They can make you laugh. They can swing your emotions and still speak something that's not true. That's not of God. We know that because the Word of God tells us that. Okay? And so one of the ways that Satan, uh, one of his most clever tactics is to pervert the Scriptures. To pervert the meaning of the Scriptures. And that word simply means to twist. Okay? To twist it in a deceiving way. He's a master of deception. He deceived Eve. The Bible says through his subtlety, he deceived Eve in the garden. And so he took the word of God. He twisted it just a little bit. Yea, hath God really said, you know, you're going to die. Put in question what God, God put a period behind that. The day you eat of it, you'll surely die. Satan puts a question behind it. Will you surely die? Now, we, that's a little subtle, but it's it's. We ought to pick up on that, I guess is what I'm saying. Don't put a question mark where God's put a period. Yes, he said the day I'll eat it, I'll die, period. And, and yet he deceives, he takes, he twists, he perverts the word of God. He misquotes it. 
He takes it out of context. He elevates certain portions of it. He minimizes or discounts or ridicules other parts of it. Haven't you heard ministers do that? They'll elevate one part of Scripture to the nth degree to where it's like uh, on steroids. It's so huge and out over the top. And they'll tell you it's not rightly divided. It's not a balanced out Bible. It's not Genesis to Revelation. It's not everything. It magnifies one aspect to the ridicule maybe of another aspect. And God didn't ridicule this down here. Whatever it is, they're putting down on holiness or they're putting down on, on being separated or sanctified or growing and maturing in the Lord or prayer life. They ridicule that and they magnify whatever they want to magnify. And can I tell you, that's another Jesus as well. He perverts it to His own ends to get what He wants to get out of it, which is the following of people, the adoration of men. He can do it through a man. He can do it through a whole denomination. He can do it through a pulpit. He can do it through music. He can do it through a lot of different ways. And it is to get what he wants out of it. But we have safety in the Lord. Okay? I just want to read this just for time's sake. We are not, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, as, as many which corrupt the word of God. So even in Paul's day, he says there's many that corrupt. It is still the word of God, but they've corrupted it. And it's no longer the truth, the unadulterated truth of God that's pure and able to save and sanctify and cleanse in the washing of the water of the Word. They were not as many which corrupt the Word of God. Amen? But there are people that do it. And everyone that would do it, whether they are, know it or not, I'm not saying that they're all, all willing parties to it necessarily, but everyone who would do that, that is the, the spirit of Antichrist that is at work to do that. Okay? That is the Spirit of Antichrist that's at work in that. And He'll make slight changes to the Word of God, but slight changes to truth means false. If something is 100% pure and I change it, then I've brought some impurity to it. Then the whole thing is defiled. I'm just wanting this, this to sink in. He makes slight changes that have enormous consequences. Slight changes to the Bible, to the Word of God, and it has a huge ramification because of that. And we need to understand that. Life and death consequences. It has life and death consequences to those who give heed to it and embrace it. The false doctrines don't affect me or you as we're walking in the truth. That's why Paul says, that people will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and they're going to fall away from the truth. How do they fall away from the truth? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's how they fell away from the truth. We don't have to give heed to it. Paul warned them, another Christ, another spirit, another gospel. I'm concerned you might give heed to that. And, and so, but as long as we don't give heed to it and embrace it and kind of incorporate it and make it our own, we're not going to be defiled by that. We're just not. Daniel wasn't defiled by the sin in Babylon, was he? I mean, he lived right in the midst of it. Idolatry and all kinds of every kind of sin you could think of was going on in Babylon. And here's a teenager there and he wasn't defiled by it. So just the fact that it's there doesn't have to defile me. False doctrines are rampant. It doesn't have to defile me. We stay in the truth. Can I tell you that Doctrinal error, though, doesn't just affect doctrine. Sometimes when we think of words like doctrine, we think of a big, long, written-out statement on the wall. And yes, we do have a doctrinal statement. 
But doctrinal error, for example, does not just affect your doctrine. Doctrine, means it's, doctrine simply means a teaching or what we believe. That's what doctrine means, a teaching. It's what we believe. And so if I give heed to false doctrine, then it's not just going to affect my doctrine, my ten points or whatever. It's going to affect everything. It's because it changed what I believed. And what I believe affects my life. It affects how I live. When my doctrine is off and wrong, it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect my attitude towards sin, my attitude towards God, my attitude towards my prayer life, towards worship, towards uh, sanctification, and you could go on and on and on, attitude towards myself if we give heed to it. This is why it's so important, and God stresses it in His Word, it's essential that God's people hold to sound doctrine. <laughs> we don't worship doctrine, we worship God. But He is laid out and the parameters are laid out in the Bible. In the rightly divided Word of God by the Spirit of Truth, He lays it out there for us. Anything outside that, beyond those limits, is false. And it's serious. And that would have to be the Spirit of Antichrist. And it, w- it will affect the way I live. It's not just, oh, your doctrinal statement is a little different than mine and so on. Uh, no big deal. It is a big deal. Can I tell you that in, in, we're living in a day and age where for the most part, I'm not saying everywhere, but for the most part in Christian circles, doctrine and putting an importance on doctrine is ridiculed. Oh, you're the doctrine police. You know, you're the this and you're the that. And, and it's, it's, it's downplayed. It's ridiculed. And it's within Christian circles. But it ought not be. It's important. Satan would love to ridicule it. And, and love for us to jump on, on that bandwagon. I've heard people say this before, y'all. Honestly, I've heard it on my own ears, and you probably have too. When it comes to like doctrine and differences in doctrine and false doctrine, oh, Jesus is just bigger than all that stuff. I don't know much about doctrine, but you know, it's, it's not that important. Uh, Jesus is bigger than all that. Well, you know, what do you mean by that? It was important to Him. He says it's important should be important to all his people that follow him. He said in the last days there's going to be false Christ and false gospels and false spirits and so forth. And I've even heard people say, "Well, Jesus, my doctrine is Jesus. You can't get any better than that." Well, that's that's a fuzzy, warm little statement. But what in the heck does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus is my doctrine? Because it was important to Jesus to give us doctrine, to give us teaching, to show us very specifically what to believe and what not to believe. It's important to him. In fact, he knows of all the importance of it. So he can tell us. And when Satan came and tempted him three times, he said, it's written, it is written, it is written. And defeated him with the word of God. And Satan in one of those even quoted a scripture from the Psalms. And you know, it's, given, it's written, he'll give his angels charge over you to you know, bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, no, it's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So it's got to be the rightly divided word of God. And people just throw these warm, fuzzy things uh, that, that Jesus is my doctrine. Well, he's my Lord and my Savior as well. And he gave me a word, his word. And he told me to learn it. Study to show yourself approved. 
and to walk in it and to stay in it. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's look at this just real quickly. In 2 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, we all know the passages. Let's look at this. Is doctrine just uh, nitpicking little unimportant stuff? Timothy, uh, Paul's about to be beheaded for the Lord. He knows it. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. Okay, so the last few words he's speaking to his young disciple, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, Timothy, in verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. I'll read one more for you. First Timothy 413 till I come. Now listen to this till I come. Give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy, the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Don't tell me doctrine is unimportant. Don't tell me that, oh, doctrine divides. Well, it does divide, but it divides in this way that God wants it to divide. Truth from error, okay? Truth from error, right from wrong, light from darkness, Jesus from Antichrist, Holy Spirit from another spirit. And so it does divide. Let it divide. Let it have just yield. Just yield to God's word. Don't yield to another spirit, another doctrine. Yield to the truth of God's word. And so, again, it's not simply teaching. It affects everything, y'all. It affects how we live and how we think of God and how we think of our own sin and so forth. Now I'm going to get a, a little more personal. I'm going to try to give some, some more uh, examples of where we are today. I'm somebody you meet on the street, you talk to. Well, I know that I really felt something at that church or in that concert or at that meeting or when that man spoke. I, don't, I know his doctrine's off or I don't know much about his doctrine or I do know his doctrine. I know it's not uh, really sound, but boy, I know I sure felt something there. It's drawn me back to that place. I'm sure that it was the Lord. I don't know about their doctrine, but I sure did love their music and I love their, their concerts and I love their worship. I sure felt God's presence when I was there. And I would say this, that clearly one of the main tools of Satan in our day, I think it's always been, but clearly I see it in our day, is, is in the area of music, of Christian music, or what's called Christian music. I'm not saying we've got the only right form here, okay? I am saying this, we do desire through the music to glorify Jesus Christ to honor Him, to be scriptural, to be biblical, that the focus and attention be on Jesus, not on our flesh, not on ourselves, not on a feeling, not on an experience, but on Christ, the Savior of, of the world. And so music is one of those areas where Satan can get in, and he does get in, and he's very effective at it. And can I tell you, y'all, that we do not base or formulate what doctrine we're going to hold to based on the feelings that we get at that service over there, at that concert. And the doctrine that comes through the music and the musicians that are on the platform that bleeds through all their songs, okay? I don't formulate my doctrine from a Christian musician. I formulate it from the Word of God. 
the living word of the living God. I don't choose what doctrine I'm going to hold to based on a feeling I got at a, at a, a service or concert or conference or in a meeting. I don't fake, uh, form my docu- doctrine based upon personal feelings or listen to this, even personal experiences. My hair stood straight up on end and it was this tall when that guy spoke. Oh, he gave me chills up and down my spine. That may have been God, but what did he say? Because words have meanings. Okay? Did he speak the truth in love? Was that Christ and his word? That's how we'll know it. All right? So I don't base my doctrine and what I'm going to hold to based on a feeling, an experience, a personal opinions of my opinion or someone else's. I don't base it on. That this, this pastor made me uh, laugh so hard, almost choked to death, you know? Or this pastor moved me to tears. Or look how popular is it? 5,000 people packed in there to hear this guy or to hear this music group in this concert. They may be of God, they may not, but we're not to determine, to determine they are, if they are or not based on whether or not we like them and feel warm and fuzzy when we're there. We have to have some standard, and the standard is the Word of God. And the rightly divided Word of God over oh, the atmosphere in that place. Boy, the lights were dark and had two candles up at the front and then the, the, the bass started thumping and, and, and everybody was moved and, and uh, I never cried so much in my life and then, then I laughed. I never felt anything like that in my life. Therefore, it must be God. You tell me Satan couldn't do that? If he can call down the, in the tribulation period, he's going to be called down fire from heaven. Antichrist, the false prophet, is going to be doing that. So we're not to base it. Uh, well, that pastor is really cool, or that band is really cool. We receive our doctrine from the living word of the living God. That's it. What what sayeth the scriptures? It's old fashioned. Yes, it's very old fashioned. Is it narrow minded? Yes, it's very narrow minded. Is it true? Yes, it's true. And Satan wants to ridicule it. And make you feel like you're just being a little st- stickler and old-fashioned and nitpicking. And you should really move on to some of this new stuff. Just a little of it. Just listen to some of this music. Just listen read a few of these books. Just a few of the quotes. They said some bad things, but they also said a lot of good things in their book. Just take the good stuff out. Well, guess what? I'm not that good and clever to pick it out. Some of it I can discern. Okay? But I want to be where it's safe. In the, in the Word of God. And so, no matter how I feel or what people around me are telling me, I formulate what's true from God and from the Holy Spirit and from His Word. Whether it's ridiculed or even abandoned in our days, sound doctrine is sound doctrine. And that's where safety, the safety is to be. We test and we prove our experiences by the Word of God. I don't formulate this is God because I felt something I test what I felt by the truth and by the Word of God. And people don't do that. For a, lot, a lot of people don't do that in our day. They feel something, therefore, fill in the blank. It's true. It's God. It's good. I'm going to be part of that. I'm going to go back to that. I'm going to follow this way. Because they felt something that had to be God. Because they never felt that before. But I might feel something. And I'm not saying God can't touch our feelings. 
He ought to. If we come in the presence of God, you know, uh, John fell at his feet and is dead. It says in Revelation chapter 1, it says that Isaiah said, Whoa, I'm undone. You understand what I mean? When we meet with the Lord, can He make, bring me to tears? Has He brought me to tears before? Absolutely. But, but that's not the validation of, of truth and error. My experience. Because many times, I've not been brought to tears by reading the Word of God or worshiping the Lord or meeting with the Lord. And so, it has to be tested by the Word of God. We test our experiences by the truth. We test sermons and music and things we hear that say that they're Jesus by the truth, by the Word of God. Look at this just real quickly. 1 John chapter 4. You're going to know where we're going with this. 1 John chapter 4. Let's just read 1 through 3 for time's sake. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try or test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many... Doesn't say this will never happen. Doesn't say be a rare occurrence. Many false prophets are going out into the world. Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. And so we test it by the Word of God. We test our experiences. We test. Sermons, everything by the Word of God. So I'm going to, I'm going to start bringing this uh, on to, to the main point. Antichrist, opposed to Christ, right? But also a substitute for Christ in place of Christ. And, and I've thought before, and I just want you all to think, can you imagine the multitudes of people? Because I know some, because I've seen them with my own eyes. And there's plenty I don't see around this planet. Can you imagine the multitudes of people who think that they're worshiping Jesus Christ. They think that they're worshiping the Lord. They think that they're meeting with God. They think that they're having an encounter with God. Some of the words they use, an encounter with God. And they're not. But they think they are because somebody standing on a platform told them, hey, what you're feeling, that's God. <coughs> And their friends are going, yeah, man, this is God. Can you imagine? Is that not a perfect deception? A substitute for, in place of, and Satan's just receiving it all as worship unto himself. And Jesus is not within 100 miles. The Lord told the Samaritan woman at the well, that Jesus loved her, he went and told to, to, to that city and specifically to her to bring the truth to her. But she said, well, you know, I perceive you're a prophet and, and uh, our fathers, she was a Samaritan, our fathers say here's to worship and the Jews say we're to worship over there. And Jesus cut through all of it and says, woman, you worship, you know not what. We know who we worship. She didn't know who she was worshiping. I think there's a planet full of people with the name Jesus on the billboard somewhere. Jesus is my homie, you know, and they're worshiping Jesus, what they think is Jesus with all their heart, with all their feelings, their emotions, and yet Christ is not. You don't even know who you're worshiping. Salvation is of the Lord. You can't worship Him if you don't know Him. You can't know Him apart from the word of truth. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. And so there's not salvation apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's false gospels and false Christ and other spirits and other big conferences and, and concerts and Christian music so-called and, and all other experiences going on where multitudes, multitudes are going with that because they're sure that that's God. And why are they sure that it's God? Because they felt something. And because their friends told them it was God. And the person on the platform told them that was God. And when they, they never cried so much in their life. When they left, they were still shaken. And they ran through this fire circle or whatever was at the end of the concerts. And, 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 they, never, and they fell flat down. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not making fun of that. It's serious. And it's going on in our day. And they believe it's God because somebody told them it was God. They felt something. If they even questioned it, they said, that was God, man. We need to go back to that. We need to get some more of that. How do you know that it's not of God? Well, from the Word of God. From the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you how else you know it's not God? Is there any lasting change in their lives? If they had the most... They're going to tell everybody they had the most incredible encounter with God at this concert. And, and they, they felt goosebumps and, and, and they felt something and their friends felt something and everybody cried and, they, and, and yet they leave there and they go straight to an R-rated movie and think nothing about it. They leave there and they still don't honor their mother and father. Still rebellious. You understand my point? Where is the lasting change in their life? Because Jesus Christ, when He saves somebody, He does not leave us the way we were. We're not perfect that day, but I can promise you we're new. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. And we begin to see uh, a change in our lives. I want to read a couple of quotes from uh, a book I've been reading. And the man's making the point about it. He says it's a kind of will worship. He's talking about this false worship where, by which man substitutes his own enthusiasms for the will of God. God's revealed will is ignored and the divine commandment is set aside for other ways and means in worship. And that's what I'm talking about. God's divine commandments and, and pattern and that He's laid out for men to know God and walk with God and worship God and pray to God and, and sing to the Lord. All that's set aside and something else is substituted in place of it. It could be your own uh, fleshly enthusiasm or a man's enthusiasm in their flesh. But oftentimes what we're seeing now in our day is another spirit besides the Holy Spirit. The, uh, it says it's, he said it's much easier to excite the passion than to kindle the soul. That's why we've got 50 people in this room and there's 5,000 people at a concert where there's some false stuff going on. It's much easier to excite the passions of people than to get the soul on fire for God and have people walk closely with Christ. The penalty for an unholy fire. Okay, let's, let's call that worship or what's being offered up. This is not a condemnation of every Christian group in concert, okay? But the, those that it is, where it fits, it fits. The penalty for unholy fire in the sanctuary is death. That's what the Word of God says. And it, it always, earthly fire, earthly kindled fire burns 
fiercely, but they burn out. But it always draws to something deeper and darker as well. People don't go off a little bit in doctrine and just sit, stop at this plateau. I'm in this false doctrine. It's a little dark. I'm, and I know the truth and I walked away from the truth and I'm just going to, I know I stepped a little beyond the bounds of what God's Word says. But I, but I really like it. You know, I really like it. I felt something. And so you step, they don't just stay there. They're going to re, either repent or come back or Satan's going to pull them on further and it allures them to darker things, more false things and more error. And so artificial, and I'm reading a few more quotes from the book, artificial excitement destroys spiritual sensibility. I agree with that. We're all caught up in it, caught up in it. We're not even thinking clearly. What am I singing? Who am I singing to? What is going on? Judging it by the Word of God and the Spirit of truth. It destroys spiritual sensibility. I'm not thinking clearly anymore. That's why the Bible says they'll turn their ears from the truth. It's my choice. And they'll be turned unto fables. That's not my choice. I turn my ears from the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 4. They'll heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, right? They'll no longer endure sound doctrine. They'll turn their ears from the truth and they will be turned unto fables, false myths, false stories about Jesus and, and all kinds of things going on. And y'all, it's, it's serious. It's not to be laughed at. It's, it's uh, the day and age in which we're living. And in that type of worship, y'all, uh, God is dethroned. They might be saying Jesus literally every other word in their song, but Jesus is dethroned from that because he's not sitting on the throne of what's going on there. The doctrine is important to him because it describes him. It lays him out. It lays out how we're to worship him in spirit and truth. We're to believe the record. It says in 1 John 5 that God gave of his son. Don't believe any record you want to about Jesus. What Jesus are you talking about? Because the Jesus of the Scriptures is this way. And we see people leaving these concerts and conferences and youth conferences and, and they think they've had a great encounter with God, but there's no lasting change. It doesn't last five minutes because there's no one there to change them. The Lord. Can a leper change his spots? No, he can't. But the Lord can. The Lord can change us, but they haven't been in the presence of God. They just thought they were in the presence of God. They thought they were worshiping God. They thought it was the Holy Spirit moving. And there's no real change in their life. They have no love for God. No greater than when they walked into that concert. They have no uh, burden for lost souls. That hasn't increased at all. They have no love for His Word or desire to study His Word. Their prayer life hasn't increased at all but yet they had an incredible counter with God. When you read Isaiah, saw the Lord high in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw, saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said, I'm undone. Because he says, I'm unclean. What was it? He was convicted of his sin. And a few minutes later, the Lord touches him and says, I've purged you. Your sins are forgiven. You know what Isaiah said then? Here, here am I. Send me, Lord. Send me. Was he changed? You better believe he was changed. And he was already a godly man before that. My point is, he had an encounter with God and it affected his life to where he says, I'm sold out for the Lord. 
You can't find anybody to go speak your word and to prophesy or speak to rebellious Israel. Here am I, Lord, send me. It made a change in his life. We have an encounter with Almighty God. We're, there's going to be a change in our lives. And I want to look at this. We're going to close with this thought. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2. We all know what happened in Acts chapter 2. Early church, 120 were gathered in the upper room. They're waiting for the promise that you will receive power, the promise of the, the indwelling, the, the filling of the Holy Ghost. They had an encounter with God, didn't they? By the way, on the day of Pentecost. And it was real. And we know it was real because it was a fulfillment of the promises of God. It was scriptural. This is what's going to happen to you. Okay? It was prophesied in Joel. And then Jesus told them, but tarry you in Jerusalem until you're due with power from on high. And they waited. And then when they received, they said, this is that. This is that. This is that promise. So they had an encounter with God. It was biblical. They had an encounter with God that totally transformed their lives. They were saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, forgiven, wrote in the righteousness of Christ, and now they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want to read the end of this chapter. Because we know Peter preaches, 3,000 get saved. Look at um, verse 41. Acts 2.41 Then they that gladly received His Word, what did they receive? His Word were baptized. In the same day, there were added to them about 3,000 souls. And that's a real work of God. That's not my hair standing up on it. Maybe all their hair did stand up straight up on end. Maybe it didn't. But I know the Bible says they were cut to the heart and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says they believed His Word. And there were 3,000 souls added. In one day, they didn't have any dark rooms or candlelit or bright lights or atmosphere or anything like that. They had their bare feet and their sandals, whatever, and they had the Word of God and Christ in their hearts. And now they've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and endued with power from on high. And 3,000 people got saved in a morning in about a five minute sermon. Because if you read it, that's about how long it would take three to five minutes to read the sermon. I'm preaching way longer than that. But uh, keep reading. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So there was a change, right? And the first thing mentioned, they continued earnestly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and in breaking in bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let me ask you this. Was there a change? They had an encounter with God. And there was a real, biblical, holy, wonderful, joyful, glad, happy, godly change in their lives. It affected their lives. Christ affected their lives. Because they really met not another Christ, the Christ. A lot of what's going on, not all, a lot of what's going on in the church world today is another spirit, another Christ, another uh, doctrine and so forth. And, and it leaves people... Whatever experience they had there, it leaves them not like this early church when they leave there. 
Our experience has to line up with the Word of God. I don't try to line the Word of God up somehow and make it fit my experience. And also, when I really meet Christ, He's going to change me. For the better. And guess what? He's going to change you in the same way. Go look at each other. and You know, He's making Alberta more humble. Hey, He's making me more humble too. He's working on me. You know, it's the same change that's going on in our lives. He might be way ahead of me in His humility, but I know that God's working that in my life. You understand my point? He's working that. There's a real change. And in Christ, and I'm closing, and in Christ and His Spirit can only produce a counterfeit worship, quote, worship, a counterfeit joy, a counterfeit spiritual encounter. No true salvation from sin. Satan can't save anybody from their sin. He can't forgive anybody of their sin. He can't give anybody eternal life. Uh, there's no real worship of Almighty God. And, and what Satan in his spirit uh, is producing is false. Because it's in the place of Christ. And in the end, all it's going to bring about is death. That's it. It's already dead. It looks like it's living. A lot of energy, a lot of things going on. It's dead. And in the end, it's just going to tend to death and lead to death. The Lord alone is mighty to save. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. And I want you to close with me the last passage I'm going to read. Back where we started in 1 John chapter 2. A little bit further down from what we read. 1 John 2, look at verse 24. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. What is John saying to the believers here? Same thing that Paul said to Timothy before he died. You continue in the truth that you originally received. Now, I'll tell you this. In walking with Jesus, it's kind of like this. We get saved. We don't know a whole lot other than we're sinners and we believe the Gospel we come to Christ. You see a little bit, okay? We come to Jesus. We come to the cross. We're born again. And then we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and so forth. And we begin to walk with God. And this whole new world opens up to us. And we'll never exhaust that. I'm not bored with Jesus. I'm not bored with His Word. Okay? So to say continue in the things that you've learned, continue in what you originally received, that's not limiting me as far as my growth in the Lord. There are higher heights, there are deeper seas, there's a lot more out there in Christ. And I believe that we're walking in it. And then there's more to walk in. And then there's more to walk in. We don't get tired of it though. But I don't have to go try something false in order to bring me some kind of satisfaction or experience or joy. In fact, I don't want that. I'm going to stay away from that. It's, an, it's a shame to Christ. It dethrones Christ. It puts a substitute up in my heart and mind. And then I'm seeking that feeling like a drug addict seeking the same feeling he got the first time. And I don't live by my feelings. Thank God He can touch my feelings. And He does touch my feelings. It's not a passionless worship or a passionless walk with God. Not at all. But at the same time, I'm not governed. My passions and my emotions are not driving the ship. They're not steering the cart. Wherever it makes me cry, well, that's where I go. I love a good cry. Or wherever it makes me happy and makes me laugh. This, this pastor got one-liners after the other. I'm going to follow him. It's not about that. 
It's about walking in the truth of God's Word. That's where we find who? Christ. The truth. Our Lord, our Savior. And we walk with Him. Amen? Indeed, you can come. All the altars are open. I didn't feel like I had to name any specific name. Uh, so there's times I've done that before where I felt the Lord would have me to. Of a, of a musician or a music group or a pastor or anything like that. It's the time in which we're living, y'all. It's the era in which we're living that's characterized by false Christ and false gospels and by deception. And how does anybody ever fall away from the truth? The only way you can fall away from the truth, you had to originally be in the truth and you had to depart from it. And the Bible says we do it when we no longer are continuing in the things we learned. We're not continuing in sound doctrine. We, We started to give heed to or embrace something other. Subtle. Subtly. Okay? I've said it before. The gold dust falling from the ceilings is not going to deceive me. But or somebody barking like a dog, I'm not going to say, well, that's Jesus. But something else could deceive me that would be more subtle. So we have to be immersed in the Word of God. Filled with His Spirit. Don't give heed to it. Not the least little bit. Not that I have no compassion for these people, but I certainly don't have to give heed to that. I don't have to be a partaker with them in that. In fact, I ought to warn them about that. Might you lose a friend? Yeah, you might lose a whole lot. Christian friends. Quote Christian friends. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. That's between them and Jesus. But that's where He wants us to be. That's what He's called us to be. That's the only place to be. And that's what I want. I don't need the false. I want the Lord. I want the Lord all the way through. And I want to want the Lord. So Father, we just come before You. All these altars are open. We come before You in the mighty name of Jesus. And we set our hearts and minds upon You, Lord God. And Father, we're not making fun, but for the grace of God, that would be us. Maybe that was some of us at some point. It's worshiping they know not what. Gave heed to false doctrine. And and you brought them out of that. Thank you, God, for that. We pray for friends. We pray for people that we know that are currently walking in that mindset. Lord, who else is going to pray for them? Who's going to tell them the truth? Who's going to pray the truth for their life? Who's going to pray that they come to the truth and out of the false? It's going to be your people. It's going to be us, God. So, Lord, we pray, God, that we as Your church body would be a holy people, not arrogant, but holy, separated unto Almighty God, walking in sound doctrine, walking in the Holy Ghost, walking in a holy life, walking in the rightly divided Word of God, walking in the love of Christ, that the love of Jesus would be shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. We'd have love for God and the things of God and a hatred for the things that are false and not of God. Thank You, Lord, that we don't have to live in fear of deception. I don't worry that tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'll wake up and realize I've been deceived. The truth is in Christ Jesus, Your Word says. And we're to continue in that same Christ, the same Holy Ghost, and the same Word of God. I pray You strengthen us and help us in this day in which we live to do that, Father. Thank You, Lord God. And Lord, we're perfectly satisfied in Jesus. 
I don't have to seek some extra biblical thing to fulfill my needs. My God is able to supply all your need according to His riches and glory. That's not just financially. That's everything we have need of. I thank You, Lord. We don't have to look elsewhere. We're looking to You. Bless this people, Lord. Bless us, God. Help us, God, to walk wisely in the days in which we live. In Jesus' name, thank You, Lord.